I am Plata on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Lindsay Wong joins me now. The acclaimed and best-selling author has a new collection of short stories out, Tell Me Pleasant Things About Immortality. It is a collection that features 13 stories that are often wild, funny, and strange. They're stories of family, fantasy, and fate. There are stories set in 17th century China as well as Burnaby, B.C.'s Crystal Mall. There are stories set in the midst of an apocalypse as well as one set at Wreck Beach. The characters are familiar. They're of people in our own families or that we see at the mall. There are ghost stories, too. It's a collection that will doubtless make readers laugh and cringe and sometimes at the same time. I'll ask Lindsay about how she writes and uh, the inspiration for the places and people that she writes about. Lindsay Wong teaches creative writing at the University of Winnipeg. She holds a BFA from the University of British Columbia and an MFA from Columbia University. Her memoir, The Woo Woo, was uh, critically acclaimed and a bestseller and in 2019 was a finalist for Canada Reads. She's also written a YA novel entitled My Summer of Love and Misfortune. The website for more is at lindsaywongwriter.com. This new collection is uh, published by Penguin. She joined me from Toronto last week. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Lindsay Wong. Professor Wong, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, your uh, first book was a memoir. Um, you, you've published a, a YA novel before uh, this collection. Did, did, when you uh, first started writing or, or thought about writing seriously, um, what was it in the realm of fiction? Yeah, yes and no. Um, I think um, when you're a child, you know, I was always drawn to the fantasy world and um, Tolkien, for example. Um, and then, you know, when you, I guess, grow up and, and move to university, um, you go to school and I just, I think um, I felt very encouraged by my nonfiction professor, uh-huh. um, and they told me, you know, nonfiction makes more money, Lindsay. Why are you writing <laughs> fiction? And I think um, some pragmatic part of me was like, well, okay, I still like fiction, um, but you know, do my MFA in creative nonfiction. Um, but I think you know, there's a certain type of nonfiction that makes money, journalism, for example, but not memoir. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that was what really. Um, put me on the path of nonfiction. I still enjoy it, though. Um, I think, you know, every genre is valuable and important. Yeah, um, I, I was a big fan of your, your memoir, and, and um, <laughs> what I enjoyed about this book was, um, uh, and what I remembered about the woo was, was how funny, uh, even when, when things are not altogether pleasant, mm-hmm. um, you can make things. And, and I guess uh, I'm curious to know, in fiction, are you able to say things that you're not able to say in other forms of writing, especially sort of, sort of the nonfiction writing, say? Yes and no. Um, I think, um, for me, I've always felt that I could be honest in any type of writing. There's something about sitting by yourself or your thoughts mm. and from the computer and, and being like, I'm going to tell the truth now, right? Whereas it's harder if you're, I feel like you're talking to someone, um, even over text, right? It's going directly to one person. Um, but also, having said that, um, I really didn't think anyone would read the memoir. I thought five people, including my agent, because it got rejected all over. You know, if there's any rejections, everyone said it was too weird, too dark, you know, no one's relate to this. Um, and so for me, it just became this idea that you know, no one wants to read um, my work because it's too dark and not funny. So, uh, you know, when you say that, you related to the humorous aspect of it. Um, it really means a lot. 
Yeah, and there are there are um, funny moments in Tell Me Pleasant Things About Immortality that um, made me laugh out loud. Um, th things that made me cringe as well. Um, mm -hmm. um, in terms of, um, say, writing a story, uh, a piece of fiction especially, um, d does it follow a pattern each time? I mean, uh, does the character come first? Is it a piece of dialogue maybe, or is it the story all the time that... that um, that's first uh, when you're, say, inspired to write something? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I would say that, for me, it really depends. Sometimes um, a place, um, mm. you know, inspires a story. I remember I was in a residency in Nebraska City, and, you know, the closest grocery store was 10 miles away at Walmart, and you could walk um, on a, you know, deserted highway just to get groceries. I remember, you know, going to Walmart, um, I walked like 10 miles, and I bought ice cream. And then I walked back, and I was alone. And it just felt like the apocalypse to me, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is what, you know, um, what it would be like to end the world. And that really inspired Thinking Houses. Um, and another story, um, I was thinking about, you know, what would happen if we wanted to do furniture? What if we decided that let's just check out of our lives yeah. right? and, you know, turn into a chair or table? Um, so a lot of it, it is really, I think, yeah, it depends on, you know, what comes into my head, whether it's a place, a memory, or um, an absurd situation. I think absurdity is really important for me to, um, to discuss um, all these, these aspects of, you know, the immigrant um, narrative story. Food is something that comes up uh, a lot throughout the book. And, and I would assume that, that uh, a lot of your own memories, say, find their ways into stories. Is that, is that accurate, uh, an observation on my part, maybe? Um, did you say food? Food, yeah. Yeah, I think um, Asian culture specifically, we're obsessed with food. Mm -hmm. um, my parents, um, especially my mother, grew up in um, poverty in Hong Kong. And, um, you know, she was always thinking about food. And I wrote about that in the Woo Woo where she stopped food. And, and so I think that obsession, I think, or that important place on it became something that I've always grown up with, um, thinking about it and thinking about, oh, no, we have too much, right? Which I'm thinking about waste and, and that grotesqueness of want, right? The idea that you need to fill your stomach with food, and even though you're sick, yeah. you still have to do it, right? And I think that leads, um, again, to his body um, humor, the grotesque, right? Women's body in terms of, you know, how we think about ourselves and, and our relationship to, to that need and, and you know, gluttony. One of the things that I was thinking about as reading this collection was that you have a sense of how people see things, and, and uh, especially other people, um, th things like uh, what's beautiful or beauty. Uh, you you uh, contrast that with what's uh, what some people might think is ugly. At, at the same time, you give um, one what uh, one. Um, what, what one might think of as ugly, say, a, a depth or empathy. Um, where, where do you think that comes from, the, the, that empathy as a writer? Um, uh, is that something that, that you've always seen, say, growing up? That's an interesting question. I think, you know, one doesn't become a writer if you don't have empathy. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, um, you know, I was accused of not having empathy as a teenager. Um, I mean, Dad used to call empathy an empty. <laughs> um, I don't know if you remember from the woo-woo. Um, yeah. and, and so for me, um, they, a guidance counselor said, you need to learn empathy, and they made me um, push a girl in a wheelchair around. I mean, that's, I mean, that's horrible, but 
um, you know, looking back, it really made me think, like, do I have empathy or do I not know how to express it in the ways that are expected of me, um, you know, as a woman of color, as a teenager, right? But, but also at the same time, right, all teenagers are pretty cool, right? Um, <laughs> and so maybe empathy is something that we learn, we gain um, later on, right? Yeah. That all writing, good writing especially, really dig deep, right? We have to be able to understand other people who are particularly evil or uh, monstrous, right? At least, you know, to outsiders. Because there's always, you know, I think some redemptive arc um, in a character, right? No one's good or evil, right? We all have wants and desires and, you know, we act out on it based on what we think is right or sometimes it's okay to be selfish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, um, I was going to ask you if we learn empathy through reading. I think we do, but I, I, I don't think we, we practice empathy just because we've read something, say. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, I think there's something really interesting about thinking about empathy, having empathy, and enacting empathy. Um, and I think we're, um, we're not really tested in life, at least for a lot of people, um, but in, in writing and, and reading, um, there's we're really forced to think about it, right? And, yeah. And, yeah, it's a really interesting question. My, my parents are Filipino, um, so, mm-hmm. so I grew up in, in knowing the context of what being Asian is. Um, uh, this idea of, of what's beautiful and what's ugly, um, which comes up through, throughout some of the stories in the book, really, really um, got me thinking about whether, um, say, being Asian made me... Um, aware of that a little bit more than, say, other people who are who, who didn't grow up Asian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know maybe Asian culture, we're obsessed with our looks. We're obsessed with physical appearance, especially in, in terms of, like, whether or not it depicts our future. I don't know. Um, in, in Chinese culture, for example, if you have small earlobes, you're considered really lucky or have, like, a great future. Um, and, and so for me, I think that's something that's really been ingrained into me, like, um, I remember a couple of years ago, I had this mole underneath my, um, under my eye, and my mother said, you know, that means you're cursed and have bad luck, and then um, she really pushed me to get it removed, mm. based on superstition, and, and so, like, I think, you know, growing up with that, um, that idea really made me think about the idea of, like, women and, and how, you know, we're valued for our looks, our youth, um, and then the ugliest girls, um, you know, it's satirical, but these women have so much pain being the wanted female, right? No one wants them. Um, they're only good for eating, um, for other people to eat because of their looks. So, and they have more pain than beautiful people. So it's a, a really good speak on, on how we view our vanity and eating. Yeah, superstition, um, religion as well so in, in, in some cultures. I mean, the, the, these things do play a part, don't they, in, in how we not only view ourselves but other people. And I, and I guess that's something that I've been trying to, I don't know if get away from uh, or um, it, it is the right way to, to put it, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, especially as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, is, it, it becomes damaging for a lot of people, doesn't it? Yeah, superstition, um, you know, obsession with ghosts, especially in my case, um, mm really carry, you know, um, our trauma and right, um, from our parents, right? They they come from another country in many cases and, and then we inherit, right? And how do we, you know, transform that pain? And I think 
um, for me, like, that question or something. I really wanted to use it to really to focus on. Um, because so many of the characters, they have that pain in them and mm-hmm. that memory, um, and, and so they transform it. Or they enact it, like, some of the characters turn to crows, right? Some turn into furniture, some turn, um, you know, or at least they want to um, turn to something or they mm-hmm. fall apart completely as zombies. So I think that's like a, a valid statement about that idea of superstition. The other thing that you do throughout the book is, is you um, show us uh, wealth and, and showy wealth at that. Um, mm-hmm. Certain brands come come up and, and, and certain lifestyles come up. Uh, you, you also contrast that in, in other stories with, with people who work, who, who do menial jobs, hard work um, at times. Um, this is something that I found interesting as I was thinking about the collection was that um, you uh, bring that awareness. And, and, and uh, I mean, some people m- might find that um, relatable, too, um, mm-hmm. whether it is the, the, the wealthy side or the, the, the not-so-wealthy side. Yeah, I think um, we tell ourselves, you know, two stories about immigrants. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the crazy rich Asians because yeah. of, you know, on or they're really poor immigrants, right? You have to work in factories. Um, and I think, you know, we... You look at that um, that tale of immigrants, and you know we we're always thinking about you know what what do we want, right? Money um, for a lot of people, and, and wealth have not. Um, and I think that especially you know the pandemic really is something that's always been on my mind. Yeah, um, yeah. and also I think um, I don't know um, in, in Chinese culture, I don't know if that's similar to Filipino culture. We're always thinking about the dead who want money, like we burn super offerings with houses, you know, um, so they can, and money so they can buy more houses and bring them. Like, so that's that assumption that wealth matters, right? Yeah. It's always going to be there, that cyclical self, um, culture, right? that need and want of, of money. <laughs> Even in death, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. You don't want to die as a poor person, they say. You're supposed to be nice to your ancestors, so they'll burn money for you so you can buy many houses. Yeah. Um, you uh, live and work in Winnipeg now. I'm talking to you. Uh, you're in Toronto uh, for the book tour. Uh, do you miss Vancouver? I do. I do. I think um, I didn't miss it before. Um, I always complained. Um, after having lived in New York, I was like, oh, Vancouver. <laughs> It, the food is amazing. You have sushi. You have, like, I love tendons. Like, when I uh-huh. go to a restaurant in Winnipeg and I'm asking for tendons and rice noodles, they look at me like I'm an insane person. And they're like, what is a tendon? I'm trying to explain it and translate it. And they're like, oh, do so you mean the ribs? So they're pointing at their ribs. I'm like, no, I don't want any short ribs. Um, I want to eat tendons. <laughs> yeah. So back and forth. I, yeah, so I do miss, you know, the food and the Asian community. Um, but... You know, I, my job is great. The students are really wonderful. Um, so I can't complain there. Uh-huh. I just, the food and the weather, even though it rains all the time. Yeah. You, you, I mentioned Vancouver because you evoke Vancouver through, through uh, a, a few stories in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the one story that, that uh, uh, where you talk about Seattle, um, I felt that it was informed by, by Vancouver. Um, does Vancouver... Uh, feel like home to you? I mean, if people ask you where home is, is that home? Um, I think one of my homes. Um, uh-huh. I've never really felt at home anywhere. Um, mm. What's really interesting is that when I went back to Hong Kong, um, my parents took us there in um, 2008, 
2019, I think the, the tension of Canada really, um, it was my first time back and I, and I did feel that, you know, that belonging there because everyone looked like me, everyone, you know, it was like suddenly like, oh, I'm home, right? This is the homeland. Um, but yeah, I would say Vancouver is one of my homes. Yeah. Um, uh, you mentioned your work. Um, are, are you finding um, the time to write? I mean, I know you teach full-time. Um, are, are you able to, to, to um, still pursue writing while, while teaching it? Um, I have to try. I think yeah. it's something I'm on, on, I'm on contract for a novel, so that means I have to do it, right? Um, so anytime I can write, I'll write. Um, I'm not one of those people who need, like, a routine. I don't have to, you know, write every day in mm-hmm. the morning or night or whatever. It's really just something to talk at the time. You know, I can write in the McDonald's. You know, I can write outside. <laughs> it's, it's a necessity, I think. But also something that makes me miserable. So I'm one of those writers who hate doing it. But then I'm, I hate not doing it. Yeah, you mentioned that in the acknowledgments about how um, you, you, you ask yourself why you undertook another book. Um, and then you start listing the physical symptoms of, uh, that, that come about from book writing for you as well as the emotional ones. Um, you, you must get asked why you do it anyway, but I guess it, it's something that you, you not, not just for professional reasons, but it's something you, you find that you need to do, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm, I, um, for me writing is it's the only place um, I think I can really be honest with myself and about things, as I mentioned before. Um, it's, I think it's, it's an act of um, one that maybe for personal reasons, I'm my own audience. Um, and, I mean, it's a horrible thing to do. I mean, it's really boring, I think, to sit in front of a screen every day and do it, and yet I still do it. So there must be you know, some sort of um, catharsis in it for me or some you know, idea of self. I was going to ask you about how you write, and you mentioned the screen. Um, have you ever, um, I, I, it may be a generational thing you know, in terms of, let's say, writing with pen and paper. Um, people of our, our generation don't usually do that anymore. Do, do you still try, Sam? Um, you know what? I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think it would work. I really can't. Like, I rarely write anymore, so yeah. I, I look at it and I'm like, no, this is um, not legible. I have, and then I'll like sometimes we'll send a greeting card and someone be like, "Did a very large child do this?" In the acknowledgments, you also mention uh, mentors and friends. Um, what is it like, Lindsay, knowing that you're a mentor for others now? I think it's just a it's a really nice thing. It's also, I mean, and no matter what um, part of our career, whether we're starting, we're in the middle, or advanced, we can always find a mentor, right? There's always someone who knows something uh, about something else, right, or does another genre. So it's a really, I think, a great cycle because, you know, all of us as writers and creatives, we need community. We need to have um, a place to go to when we come up with problems in our, you know, our work or professionally, right? Um, There's always someone you can ask, and I think that's really nice. And encouraging other writers, especially those who haven't been, say, represented uh, heretofore, I mean, th- that's always been important to you, right? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, um, where else can we get that help and support, right? Um, you know, people who have not had the privilege of being in an academic writing program, not being able to afford classes, um, 
you know, it's, it's that finding community, right? Because that's what sustains us. Um, you know, um, sometimes if I'm having a hard writing day or something terrible happens in my professional life, where do I go to? You go to, you know, community, the people who understand you, the people who write. Um, otherwise, you know, we do it alone. And I think that would be terrible and terrifying, right? No writer um, exists alone. So when I got the the, the uh, book, um, the, the collection, Tell Me Pleasant Things About Immortality, um, I noticed that the, there were, were um, just reading, say, the, the, the back of the book, there, there were stories that involved, say, the supernatural or horror. Um, th- those were not, these are not genres that I usually read in. And um, so I was, you know, I was, I was thinking about whether I would enjoy the stories. But I found myself captivated by... Um, not just what was happening to the people, but the people themselves, say, the characters mm-hmm. themselves. Um, in terms of writing, um, uh, you, you, I think you mentioned earlier that, that um, fantasy was something that you were interested in early on. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that um, writing in these different sort of genres of fiction, um, I, I know writing is work for you, but I mean, do you find going into different areas of, of, of fiction writing, do you find the challenge of that fun at times? I don't know if fun is the right word for it, um, wow. but I can definitely entertain myself. I read a lot of jokes in my writing, um, as I'm sure you know, um, because it's, it's what I do, right? Especially uh-huh. writing about something really dark. Um, I think it's just how I, I process it. Um, I did have fun writing... Um, uh, so, so sorry, Sister Eunice, mm-hmm. about um, this uh, the Holy the Holy Ching and these like nine tailed foxes who um, who eat humans and they're you know, sorority girls, right? I had a lot. I mean, yeah, I think I had some fun, you know, creating that voice, right? And and being like, how would you sound like if you were a fox human but also a sorority girl? And that sort of really got me in. Yeah, there's some, you mentioned that, so there's some funny moments in there. Um, in terms of, because um, I, I was looking at the the front of the book where it says that one of the stories was published in the Fiddlehead. Um, were, were the other stories then written towards this collection? That's interesting you say that. Um, I think I didn't set out for a short story collection. It was one of those things where, you know, the woo-woo was being rejected everywhere, and, and they always to like, you know, start a new project. And so... Um, I'd written um, um, Rusty, Columbia, and Furniture as well, uh-huh. um, really rough drafts. Um, and then I was like, I guess I'll continue on and see if any um, themes emerge, right? And, and it turned out, you know, I was writing about um, intergenerational trauma and family secrets um, and all this, you know, pain and burdens um, that we, we carry. Um, and so um, after that, I had 13 stories at the end, so maybe it was, you know, a ghostly intervention, or maybe my ancestors are talking to me, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. there are 13 stories that you have to, you know, put together. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's it's also a fun collection to read, because the, the, uh-huh. um, the, the, there are, um, like, I'm thinking of, um, I forget the name of the story, the Colony Farm Confessions, is that the mm-hmm. title? Um, yeah. Th- th- that I found... Um, because we know what's going to happen at the end already. Yeah. Um, I just find that just the, the, the um, and the, the way it's written, um, the voice that you evoke, um, uh, someone who's who's not like you, I guess, because it's a male. Um, 
I just found that I just found that fun to read, even though it's it's often troubling. Um, uh, I, I was going to ask you about um, the success of the woo woo. Um, you, you mentioned that it had been rejected um, a, a number of times before you, you found a, a publisher for that. Did, did at the end of the day, looking back at it, did the success of it, the critical and and um, commercial success of it, does that surprise you at all? Oh, for sure. Um, I think, um, well, one doesn't think, you know, their book is going to get read, at least when I was writing a memoir. Um, and also because my agent really struggled to find a publisher for it, and everyone just kept saying it was too weird and, you know, not mainstream enough. And no one wants to read about, you know, Chinese people um, who believe in ghosts, but, you know, it's, it's about mental illness. But it was, I think, um, you know, the idea that it was to me, so I was just really grateful when I got one offer from my small podcast, and I had, you know, I was like, I'm so excited, I'm going to have a beautiful book with a pig on it, I'm going to, like, you know, celebrate it. Um, yeah, so it was a huge surprise to me that um, other people would relate so, so much to it, especially with family and mental illness, and of course, you know, um, I would never accept my book to be nominated for awards or be on Canada Reads, um, not something you think about or dream about um, as a writer, especially one um, who has always been rejected. I'm always, I think I'm always surprised when people say, I really love your work. I, and, I, and I, part of me discussed it, I think, um, I feel that they're just saying it to be nice, right? <laughs> I feel like they're secretly being like, oh my God, we, 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 we can't, so like, this is terrible. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably just my own insecurity and my, my own proje- projection. Them. Do, do do people ask you though about uh, certain characters in the book? Um, in the woo woo, yeah. In the, in, in the woo woo, I mean, you know, um, I, I don't know. I, I I kept wondering about some of them, and um, uh, I'm just curious to know at, at readings or, or you get emails say from readers. Do, do they ask you about about people in the book? Not so much. Um, people are more um, interested in me and, and my life. Um, and sometimes I do get DMs from strangers, and of course I can't respond to everything. And sometimes it's, it's hard to um, to want to talk about it because, um, you know, I've done this work. I've created a memoir, and, and this is what you get from my life, right, or my childhood, right? Yeah. Everything else that's not in the book, um, you know, sometimes it's not for their consumption right. or yeah. not enough um, information, so I can't answer that question. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I I, um, um, I was walking out of the, the public library downtown here in Vancouver um, a few years ago, so before COVID, and um, I saw you. And um, I was going to say hello because I'd read the woo-woo and, and, and enjoyed it a lot. But but uh, someone had stopped you, and, and um, um, uh, from what I gathered, they were, they were a big fan of yours. And um, they, they were talking to you about your writing and, and the sort. And so I... I, I just walked past because I, I, you know, I didn't want to interrupt. Um, I, I can't help but assume that, that that happens to you a lot, or, or happened to you a lot during the, or in the aftermath of the publishing of the Woo Woo. And I'm just curious to know, was that? Um, did you enjoy interactions with readers like that? Um, I, I sound horrible when I say this. Um, I mean, of course, like if I'm at a literary event, sure. I'm just being come yeah. up to me, talk to me, um, you know, but. I think as a very shy person, it's always um, just, I guess, discomforting if you're just 
you know, on the street and someone starts talking to you about the woo-woo. Um, of course, you know, if we've met before, like, come yeah. say hi, right, if we have that acquaintance. But if you're a complete stranger and you just come up to me and you're like, tell me more about this, I'm obviously going to be taken aback. Um, so I think um, there's, I think, a time and place for it. And, of course, I understand that readers are excited, um, but, you know, thinking about the person who wrote the book, right, and and where they might be. Because sometimes, you know, you're... And you're, I mean, sometimes I wear my pajamas and I want to go to the grocery store and get chocolate milk and I don't want to talk to anyone, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think, I think it depends on when and where and, and what context, right? Um, because some questions could be pretty invasive. Um, yeah. I remember looking for roommates in, in Vancouver um, and they, someone um, said to me, they said, um, tell me, um, you're, are you like Lindsay Wong, like the woo-woo? Can you like tell me more um, about XYZ? And I'm going to get my cousin. Can we have that conversation? Um, and, and so it was really weird. And I was like, I don't think this is a good fit because I'm looking for a roommate, not, <laughs> you know, Peter. So I'm like, bye. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, um, it, it, it's, um, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. I, I, um, as I said, I'm a fan. Um, Thank you. It was so back, Going back to the room, and I, I hope this does well for you. I, I can't help but think that there'll be um, readers who'll pick this up and, and uh, find something that they'll really like and that they'll really need from um, Tell Me Pleasant Things About Immortality. Congratulations and continue good luck with the book, Lindsay. Thank you so much. So nice to hear, and um, it was great chatting with you, too. The website for more is at lindsaywongwriter.com. The book is called Tell Me Pleasant Things About Immortality. It's published by Penguin. It's author Lindsay Wong. Join me on the line from Toronto, Ontario, in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planto.